Hello. Hello. Is it videoing? Gonna, it's videoing, and I'm just going to open this first for us for a yeah. start. Yeah. All right then. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen you for ages. You're looking good. Anyway, carry on. Annie. Josh. Ah, oh, come here. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so good to see oh, you. Good to see you as well. My God, what a journey we've been on, eh? God, it's uh, so such a good to see you in person and have a good chat with you. And yeah, we're actually going to be recording this conversation. So at last, mm -hmm. we have really good conversations, don't we? Like we get some stuff said. We really do. Um, so I'm going to start by saying it is amazing that you've just interviewed Phoebe. Oh yeah, I saw her at the Queen Elizabeth Hall uh, talking with Ben Ockrey, um, a guy called Tom who was talking about the importance of nuclear and mm -hmm. all of that, so, which was really important. He held his end out really well, but he was basically saying everything's all right, you know, following the, the comforting patriarchal line of honestly, we've got it and we're the best in the UK and everyone's following us and all that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And then there was, I can't remember his name, it's awful, but he was one of the founders of XR. So basically, Tom is doing the government line, the government eco line of we're going to be all right, but it's difficult, uh, had three people against him who were discussing, is activism working? Phoebe was absolutely incredible in so many ways, defining what it is to be a young person at the moment, all the issues that we're grappling with. It's just so complex, like uh, LGBTQ, non-binary, um, but still f female acknowledging, being female born with female body, being 21, being in this world with this stuff going on and knowing that we have got to do it, something really important really quickly. So anyway, she was really great. So I'm really glad you've spoken to her. She's she's an important person because uh, she holds her own really well. So, well, I've just been somewhere amazing. There's a community of people. Um, and what I want to talk about, what I was going to chat with you about, you know, if we weren't doing this sort of self-conscious podcast thing, was I was going to I don't want you to be self-conscious on the podcast. I want you to forget about that camera. Yeah, all right, okay. And I want you to just... All right, forget just, about the camera, forget about the microphone. I'm just going to talk to talk you. To okay. Me. All right. So went to the field and I did my normal thing. If I, I, I found it really difficult to get out of London. London's really heavy energetically. Um, and, you know, I've had really bloody tough time. Um, I don't, well, you know, I was a climate change activist. And before that, I was a sustainable designer and I advised DEFRA and all of that stuff. Um, and was offered a departmental bursary um to do a phd because i was a forerunner of design I, I know my stuff and i'm an expert in waste and an expert in uh closed loop and cradle to cradle systems which is what we should be following and when you know all of that anyway um and i you know i got arrested and you know that i flipping had a nervous breakdown pretty much last year my second arrest because it's the sort of you know that the sort of people that do this, like like you, like Phoebe, are people of incredible heart, but also incredible courage. Although some people might go, "You're a bit mad. You really should follow." You've been taught what you should be doing, haven't you? You've been you've been in school. You've been socialised. You know what the law is. 
you you have to trust the power structures, etc. You know all of that. So it actually takes a hell of a lot to push someone out of trying to do the right thing, which I did for the whole of my life. I mean, even King Charles gave me an award, you know, you know about that, an international design award for my work in 20, in the year 2000, King Charles. And then I find myself in court being, um, it was really awful doing the climate change uh, activism thing with Just Stop Oil. Uh, I, I just had a like you know I've had my new hip and I got on top of an oil tanker and I didn't intend to didn't really didn't intend to but you kind of get on a path if you've all of us get on a path don't we mm-hmm. you could be anybody in the world on your path uh, with integrity even if it's a sort of I'm just going to sit at home and be depressed path it's your path or I'm going to go out and I'm going to be a doctor and, and what tends to happen is, is that you recognise the things that support that and and you find your path. Like in Ireland, they say, may the, it's a blessing, may the road rise up to greet you. And your path normally rises up to greet you. I really did not expect to be being arrested and put in a prison cell when my path rose up to meet me. I don't want to send you on a sidetrack. Yeah, 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 yeah. But do you want to explain how you got arrested? On that particular arrest, or the first one? Uh, on your first one. Okay, first first arrest was um, a friend of mine said, oh, go to Oxford Circus. There's all these young people in a pink boat. And I'd looked at the uh, the night before on telly and the police were dancing. And there seemed to be a kind of, there was something going on that felt like it was important. A bit like the peace marches in the 1960s and flower power against Vietnam, there was something about it where uh, it looked like the law and order people were kind of agreeing because mm. of what happened in Vietnam. And I'd seen this happen as a child. Uh, so I thought I'd go along. Be perfect. I didn't know anything particularly about XR except I had artist friends, um, Dan Harvey and Heather Aykroyd, who had done some amazing work. They made a a grass coat and a man wore the grass coat, got on a white horse and rode into uh, the the Tate Turbine Hall and then rode out and rode across Waterloo Bridge. Uh, and I thought, this is incredible. You know, these, these incredible statements about the environment. And I'd been doing environmental design since 1990 and was actually well known for it one of the first to say this is what we need to do, advise the government. Anyway, so I went along, cut a long story short, I'm sitting listening to the young people and uh, I get within 20 minutes I'm surrounded by three policemen. I'm sitting on the ground, they go, you've got to move. And I go, why? They said, we want you to move to Marble Arch. And I said, why? And then they said, if you don't move, we'll arrest you. And that was the three because they have to tell you three times that they want you, and if you don't comply, they arrest you. And I didn't even know what happened. I got arrested. I was on BBC News. It's like, oh my goodness, my young young man, what are you doing? And I got my hand back on, you're arresting me. And I knew nothing about the strategies that Roger Hallam and XR Extinction Rebellion had to get, you know, 2,000 people arrested draw attention and you happen to be one of them by accident i just by accident happened to be one of them so i was i'm an accidental climate change activist (laughs) 
It is funny, isn't it? And I carried on being that even though I, I had to go through the, the law system. You know, the first magistrate had spent five minutes in his summing up telling me how brilliant I was. It's not like now when we have Judge Silas Reed sentencing people. Can I say, can I say, yeah. fuck Silas Reed. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, and your prejudiced laws and your prejudiced um, rulings that you're making, you know. Um, yeah, fuck that guy. Continue. He's, do you know what? We're going on a serious tangent right now. because yeah, we're, we're, we're already on one tangent. We're going to go from a tangent from you a tangent. You know what I'm going to be like? We're going to go on so many tangents. Oh, let's just go for it. Let's just go for it. Let's just go for it. Like, you have to understand. Sadhguru, I like follow Sadhguru. All you need to understand. Isn't it so? What, it's so? what is so is that we are all subject to our own conditioning. And our own conditioning, even the people in the greatest power, I believe, are subject so much to their own conditioning that they can't even overcome their own conditioning and not do what they have been programmed to do. I think that all of us in our heart, we love our, we love, we love, we love someone. We, we love someone, even the people in power. We love someone. We are all human and we are all mortal and we all die. And... Um, subject to our own conditioning and we are held not only by what we believe we are but by how we are allowed to be by the people around us so you take putin he was picked as a sort of top kgb guy to be the leader of russia by people who thought he's the right person they would manipulate him because there is there is an aspect of being i mean unless you look at this guy you know but even he even he, we've got the Dalai Lama here, right? Even he, he was picked and he chose the right things, reincarnation. He chose the right things, but he's the Dalai Lama. And he would not have any power if people around him did not, did not understand every single person what it means to be the Dalai Lama. Putin, everyone understands around that he was chosen what it means to be the leader of Russia or USSR or whatever it is that it's called now. And so it's like a hive mind, a hive mind of conditioning. And yet each individual person is, goes home at night and has to sleep in their own bed and has their own personal story and the people that they love. And not just that, has their own ancestors, their own parents and the uh, their own specific family traditions that they honor for example like uh, the marsh arabs the marsh arabs that were nearly destroyed entirely uh, some of them spoke languages that there are hundreds of different languages because they would be in the marshes on islands a family group for many decades maybe some centuries and they all have different uh, manifestations of Islam, for example. So in some of those manifestations, there is incredible respect for matriarchy. And in some, because of course you can interpret what you're given, the Quran, in so many different ways. <clears throat> but we're pack animals and we're communal animals. And we, we have survived and we have prevailed on this planet to a point where we could, the planet could be entirely destroyed by our own cleverness our ability to coordinate, our ability to find our level, our ability to follow power. <clears throat> so I'm having discussions. I want to say two things. Like One of the discussions I was having today, 
today in the field was what is it that makes power so irrefutable i asked and in my head i was going it was it's to do with our acquiescence and our agreement our agreement to go along with whatever that power is the power could be a simple definition like walk down the street on the left it, it it's how we it, it's often a very good thing that we know what we're supposed to be doing and, and none of us can be in charge of the complexity of feeding ourselves housing ourselves keeping ourselves warm without this incredible coordination that we've managed it's an it's, it's pretty amazing so we we want to hold on to that but it's our acquiescence so and then i thought well when we cease to acquiesce because there's something wrong and let's not blame anyone here Let's not blame the oil giants. Let's not blame anybody. Let's see them all as individuals who are subject to their own conditioning and subject to their own position where they've been placed in life and how people see them. Because as soon as you are not seen the way you're supposed to be seen, that you can be sent to Coventry, you can be extricated. You can be, we see it in mm. politics all the time. And an individual goes along with that. So I think that what makes say JSO people and people like Phoebe unique in one way is that uh, they are prepared to recognize that and step outside and speak truth to power. However, they are still part of a movement and that movement, in my humble opinion, has become quite cultish because it's very singular. It's What is good is it's singular in its mission. It's one one issue, just stop oil, which if you look at it is going to say, you can look at it properly, it's not just stop oil altogether, it's just stop all new oil. But it's at the, the means by which it is done is put a load of people in prison. And what I, so I now want to come back to something that we've been talking about a lot, which is the, the incredible toll it takes on the individual who decides to step, step outside that agreement. You know, you've been placed in a position, you could be Phoebe, beautiful young woman, expressing part of how humanity is developing so beautifully. I am non-binary. I might be LGBTQ. I'm not going to talk about that. That's my business. But, and I'm young and I'm intelligent and I'm powerful and I love, and I love this world. And I want more from it. And I want to give more to it. And I want a chance to be alive, to be alive. And, um say something because I'm a bit I am in awe I am in awe of her but what the best of us can be destroyed by by the collective she she's held also in in position within just up oil although it is a, a a fragile community because it's full of people who who have been hurt by step in many cases for the first time in their lives um, speaking truth to power, um, acquiescing or acquiescing to power, refusing to acquiesce to power. You know, they're intelligent enough to believe in their own. They've been brought up in a way, they're in a place where they're loved. They have a sense of their own identity. They see that something is wrong and then they are so courageous and they go, no, for the first time in their lives. And then it's moth to a pl flame. They get hurt. And when Phoebe was on stage, I, um, um, the interviewer, she's a BBC interviewer, um, was asked, taking questions for the audience. And Ben Ockrey was looking straight at me because I was going, ooh, me, me, me. 
but I wanted to ask about the toll it takes on her emotionally, physically, her family, mm -hmm. what it feels like. Because for me, I had a breakdown. And I, because to go against the whole fabric of a society that has supported me and all the people that I love and all my ancestors, it seems disingenuous. Not only that, it's like, I want to be law abiding. I, I want to be, I want to be law abiding. Mm -hmm. And so to go against myself was painful to start with and to do it twice and go through the law court system twice. Well, you, you, you did surf at Isle Sorry. You did surf an oil tanker with just about, didn't you? I, did. um, I feel partly responsible for motivating you to do that. Like, I'm pretty sure we had a talk beforehand and you were like, right, that's it. <laughs> and <laughs> you, you actually went and jumped on the oil tanker with uh, one of my good friends, Emily. Uh -huh. uh, before we get into that, actually, would, um, would, you, like to, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, yeah you um, get involved, Kate Yeah, no, I'm, um, too much. I'm Hugo. Um, I think, uh, I think in terms of, sort of the activism space, I'd say I'm very much on the soft edge or soft end of that spectrum. Um, and I suppose like I share that in this conversation, maybe because like the conversation you just had earlier today and the conversation you're having now, um, and maybe other conversations are with what I might describe as sort of more hard-edged activism and more hard-edged activists um, who sort of put more more at stake and more on the line and um, yeah so maybe um, yeah maybe the fact that I'm very soft-edge I mean all, all I all you, I really all you're I re people you're I mean your thing is people which is the important new thing isn't it like who I've known you for such a long, long time now. Like you did that, you walked 500 miles and you weren't even a pretender and have a pop star. You walked 500 miles to COP and you talked to people on the way COP26 to, and you asked some questions because you were interested in people because each one of us probably is wondering, well, we, we've heard there's this climate change thing going on. We don't know if there's anything we can do if we aren't told what to do. I'm presuming because you are the one that asked the questions. Like, what did you find when you asked, when you were walking, when you asked those questions? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the the walking. I think I've a nickname that's been given to me as um, walkie talkie, <laughs> um, and so yeah, I think um, for me the sort of importance if I can put it like that is or my sense of the importance of it is just having it part of more and more conversations and so and, I, and I'm probably that's a thread which goes through from the soft edge to the the hard edge like the hard edge is like well yeah we yeah Hugo we know we need lots of conversations about it that's why we're like trying to sort of punch through um our sort of societal noise to actually this really important issue so that it can be talked about um, so, yeah, that's probably a thread that's consistent. Um, and maybe the sort of me just walking along and then talking to anyone who wants to talk about this stuff um, and having those conversations, that may be for them um, like something they can actually listen to. Maybe maybe sort of the quite uh, punchy, like sometimes they might, you know, might describe it as quite sort of shouty, 
communication mm-hmm. um, is something that they, they don't really respond to. Either they, you know, they sort of clench up and they don't really want to engage with it because it feels intimidating or mm-hmm. scary. Whereas if it's just me or someone like me or, you know, just someone just walking and then you get into a conversation and then you steer the conversation towards, you know, what you're concerned about, which is this, you know, broader context that we're in, um, then they feel, okay, well, maybe I can entertain this conversation. Like I can be a little bit open to that conversation, in that conversation. Like it's not me telling them uh, what to do or what to think, uh, but hopefully through that conversation they will begin to, you know, decide for themselves like what but then what kind of response they want to have at this time. When you make a leap, when when you make a leap out of a life, what I was talking about earlier was you're like a doctor and your your life creates a path and your road hopefully rises up to meet you. You're not drunk, you don't fall over flat on your face, but you know your path. You're in flow. You're in a flow that is supported by how people around you understand you, supported by what work you've put in in terms of your expertise and your training and your dedication to work and getting everything together you can pay away and all that sort of stuff. Um, to actually make that leap out out of um, the world is something that people aren't familiar with doing. The in, incredible individuation the passion. And that passion is the sort of passion that a lot of people in JSO talk about when they quote the suffragettes, Martin Luther King. And I would quote, and, um, you, you know, I would quote David Bowie, we can be heroes. Do you know that the whole of humanity is rising in intelligence and awareness of itself? It's extraordinary the times we live in, that we can even divine, define the subtleties of our own sexuality and say to people, do not put those clothes on me, those ideas on me. We were talking earlier about Putin was created as a leader. Mm-hmm. I would So metaphorically, I would say the people around him were his, the clothes that defined him that said, yes, yes, yes. But he was, he was listening to what they wanted him to say because he was a good KGB boy. And so, and and he followed. It was this, a symbiotic relationship of power mm. um, that, you know, and so this is a new thing, a mass movement of people jumping out, but still jumping into a pond of pain mm. where they're going to be destroyed and hurt by the system, where even the people, the advocates of the system, probably even Judge Silas Reed, probably, who probably has a grandchild he adores, who just doesn't want to think about it. So anyway, we were having like chats. Josh, <laughs> we were having chats. Right, you know what I'm like I, when I get going. Um, so Just Stop Oil, I think, has been brilliant. And now there's orange confetti and there's orange paint and everyone knows what Just Stop Oil is. Do, and they, real? Do they really know what it is? And No, they don't. But what they expect the phenomenon of Just Stop Oil whenever there's anything going to happen. It's like... When's Pinky and Perky going to appear at the side? When's the clown going to come? Where Where is the Just Stop Oil, you know? And, and everyone's ready. Everyone's ready and they, they take the powder off the centre court and, and everyone goes, that's what they did. And it, poof, it's become generic. Um, it hasn't achieved its goal, which was the intention 
uh, if we are honest, of, of the originator of it, which was get a load of people in prison, everyone will be outraged across the world. And if a, enough people go into prison, there will be a tipping point and the percentages, percentages of people that do things. And it, it's not going to work like that because for a start, generations and people change. And and science is science is it's something that has to be proved again and again and again and again. And why do you then expect that the same thing is going to happen again in 20 years that did before? Mm. A lot of people have been hurt by this, not least myself, not least Emily, not least Phoebe, and all of the other people, thousands of people who have really seriously damaged their own mental health by going against a system that they wanted to trust in. But they realized they couldn't, but their love was so great their love was so great and their potential for self-sacrifice for the people they love was so great. And that is one thing and the courage that actually goes in all of them. And that's not acknowledged, you know, because the sacrifices, we don't hear about that. We just hear about if we're interested, uh, how, how they're played like cat and mouse in the court system. Oh, well, we'll send you a wadge of papers that thick and, and actually, you're a retired nun or, you know, a retired doctor or something living in one room because you don't have your own house and 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 you need to get a barrister to read through it and you're so frightened. There are lots of things that happen. The system terrifies people. It's a systematic terror that is visited on normal people who are full of love. I mean, I don't like that at all. But anyway, so... The idea that we've had, it's going like Just Stop Oil. It's a really great brand. Just Stop Oil. It's orange. It has particular... You're right. It looks quite caram. Is it the beer? It is the beer, yeah. <laughs> At least it's not me going, oh, my God, she's got a funny night, funny idea can, can, again. Carry on, carry on. I've just got hiccups. <laughs> okay, right. So, Just Stop Oil. So, we're going like, just stop this, just stop that. So, I met a guy who has a technology who that can re-ice the Arctic. So here's a little bit of a little bit of a fat coming in here to terrify everybody in the midst of this nice conversation. Wait, 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 hold, hold on, sorry. Yeah. Josh, you had a no, you had a carry reaction. On, carry on. You, you like the sound of it. Okay. Yeah, I do. I like it. Yeah, All right, okay. So he has a technology and a company, um, and it's a, a military technology where you take very, very freezing water from underneath a pack ice through a hole and you spray it over the top. And what happens is it will refreeze. So what's happening, instead of eroding the plates, the floating plates of ice, which we need to protect the whole, whole system of our planet, it's actually rebuilding more ice. Um None of us want to actually look at what's really happening, the effects of the monsoon in India, the rising heat all over the planet. But basically, when we lose the pack ice on the Arctic in five years' time, sorry, guys, it's five years, not 10, it's not 1.5, we're all dead. Um, and so I met this guy, and he was very inspiring because he can actually mend it. And I had this idea, we need to not have... We do need to have single, single ideas like insulate Britain, just stop oil. The single idea now is massive continental planetary repair. And I'm not talking Star Trek. I'm talking 
what are the major continents capable of doing as a as an ecological machine that will keep this planet okay using what this planet does which is respirates through co2 and oxygen keeps it cool by having stuff happening that's cold up the top stuff happening that's cold down the bottom and little winds that go around and gulf streams that you know all of that there is already one man on the planet who is doing this and he's called Sadhguru and he goes to Davros and G8 and all the major leaders of the world know him. And what he's done is got everyone to agree in the subcontinent of, um, of India to plant trees one kilometer either side of each river. And this will be so big, he understands, the carbon sink and the oxygen that's created because it is a massive subcontinent it will have a major planetary effect so actually what we need is engineers planetary engineers and we have a man and and, and the company is called real ice real ice eco i think it is and he link in the description okay yeah yeah real ice eco this November, he is going to Canada and he is going to use this technology to freeze a seven kilometer square lake. What he can do is go and mend parts of the ice that is melting where there's cracks. Your poor little polar bears fall in the water, etc. All the stuff we've seen that we're emotional about, but we can't do anything about. We so feel so disempowered. And he can also mend and recreate large plates of ice on the top. But he needs the existing ice in order to make it. It's a bit like fungus, you know, or it's a bit like yogurt or it's a bit like kombucha. If you've got a bit of it existing already, you've got enough of it existing, you can make more. You can make more so you've got loads and loads. So we want to, we need to become drivers of the planet. And at the moment what he's saying is, is that, he he needs someone to do it now and pay for it now. I mean, no, pay for it now, but like enable it now. And the mechanisms of global politics make it impossible. It would take too long to go through the committees where everyone agrees. Mm. Right. So that's the big thing. Revolution. Sorry, Karen. No. So then I, I was thinking, right, well, all of us need to know. We, we need to change in ourselves. First of all, we need to... We, we need to believe we can do it. We need to believe we can do it. And and then I thought, well, let's just do one step at a time. What we need to we need to come together for many reasons. Because I found when I was very depressed after what I did that I isolated myself. Quite a lot of my friends didn't like what I'd done. Uh, they thought I was stupid. And others were very upset about how upset I was. And I ended up becoming reclusive and agoraphobic. And I could, don't take any notice of it. I couldn't, I, I couldn't go out. And I think a lot of people have closed down. And they've closed down because they don't know what to do. And I think what they need to do is just start getting together. It's not just stop doing things. It's just start getting together. So I want to launch here the new global initiative for global planetary mending. And it's called Just Start Getting Together. Oh, so lovely. Do you like that idea? I do like that idea, yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, even if you pass the point of no return, mending the planet on a... On a, on a massive scale is something that we could start 
you know, we could start now. You know, we um, imagine if you could re imagine if you could pay people to replant the rain the rainforest. Imagine if we could restructure our economies so that you could become rich by being the most effective at creating complex biological ecosystems that sequester carbon and the more the more successful those ecosystems are the more money you would make like i reckon companies would turn on a dime Mm. and we would fix a lot of the world's problems pretty rapidly i think to be honest um do you want to say something yeah no that just um it just made me think um just as a sort of example um so um i'm the son of a farmer and within that farmland uh, is woodland and um you know one way which at present with sort of current levels of uh, of warming climate conditions uh, which is seen to be sort of uh, ecologically beneficial thing to do is to to coppice woodland mm-hmm. uh, that's a sort of ecological way of harvesting timber making use of timber um and the conventional practice at the moment is that the 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 lops so the limbs and the tops uh, of this wood that you that you cut um is ordinarily has sort of quite a sort of short short life so ordinarily it's it's burnt either just beside the wood in the wood or it's taken away it's chipped and it may be burnt to generate energy but it's still being burnt so the carbon that's stored in that that biomass actually has a sort of almost instant release um and when I heard that that was happening, you know, I said to my dad, you know, is there any chance that we could do something different with that wood so we wouldn't have that immediate release of the carbon that's stored? Um, and I suggested that we do uh, dead hedges. So um, yeah, this is just like the, the branches and the brash creating dead hedges. And I suppose that would be a fast... The, the, what's stored in that material will decompose. It will be released eventually, but it's a far slower release. Um, and it does lots of things. I mean, it creates the habitat for um, for lots of animals and creatures. It also creates sort of nature corridors in a sort of freshly cut wood. Um, it also creates um, defence for the new shoots that are springing from that freshly cut wood. Uh, it protects them from the deer's grazing. So it's doing all of these things. It's a lovely thing. Um, and I've spoken to people with... Um, uh, who are professors um, in ecology, in environment, in nature restoration, and they get very excited about dead hedging. The thing is that dead hedging is not happening anywhere, right? <laughs> it's just it's just not happening. And why is it not happening? It's not happening because it's a totally uneconomic thing to do. You know, I did it in a small area, you know, with twelve friends, and we spent you know a long weekend doing it. But you know, it's totally like for free. You know other landowners, other stewards of land. Briefly explain, what is dead hedging? Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I suppose dead hedging, you'd create, a, you'd create a hedge effectively from dead materials. So you've got laying hedges, which is where it's a live hedge in effect. So you plant, you plant trees and shrubs, and then over time, as they grow up, you would cut them and lay them, and this would create a, create a hedge. Uh, sorry, Annie's jumping in. I just want to jump in and say that not a lot of people know that if that wood is an amazing material and we need a lot more of it and we need to use it instead of concrete because 
wood sinks carbon but if you then allow it to when it rots or if you burn it thinking oh, i'm going to get some energy it releases that carbon again so if we want to sink carbon which is actually one of the main things we want to do we need to have as much wood being used for building and being used for these sort of projects mm. on a mass scale so what Hugo is talking about is experimental examples, homeopathic, which need to be taken up. Therefore, we need to just start getting together with our ideas and sharing them. And, and then individuals who feel so isolated mm. and so hopeless and helpless Go and talk to the people next door. What is your wisdom? What have you got to offer? What can you do? What do you understand? And then listen to what your neighbor says. Because we're going to need this when we have food shortages. This mm. is also a strategy. Just start getting together is a strategy whereby when difficulties happen, we will not have social collapse. We mm. won't need the army. Mm. We can grow food. Anyway, sorry, Hugo, because no, no, what you were fine. saying was really, was really important uh, I, as an actual technology. Yeah. I mean, I think I was just giving, you know, it's, it's quite a sort of detailed sort of example, and it's a very small-scale example, but the reason it was going to link to what you were talking about, Josh, was uh, was that, you know, in effect, people walking by asking about this, I say it's not happening anywhere because there's no money for it. So one, one thing is, you know, as you were describing, you know, you make you make that sort of endeavour where money can be made, let's say. Um, and I think the language like in this country about land management is around public money for public goods. So dead hedging, it is a public good at this time, but there's currently no public money for it. So that's one way of thinking about thinking about it. But you still need to pay someone to do it. Someone would need to do it. Um, and I think... The example that I give is shifting away from money and making money. Oops, I'm not completely sure what you mean by dead hedging still. Like, um, maybe because I've had a few beers, but. Uh, <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. So, so you go on. So I think, I think it's just, it's just from, if you're, it doesn't have to be with harvesting lots of timber. It could just be in your garden, in your garden. Every so often you will prune trees or bushes or whatever it may be and there'll be some material and what quite often happens is that people will burn that material just to clear it away you know mm. um yeah it's a way of t tidying things but, but you could are you about don't. burying it no it's effectively stacking it stacking it into what looks hedges. what looks like a hedge but it's a hedge that's not living so it doesn't you know won't, won't have leaves um, won't be growing initially. I suppose the thing is that once you have this dead hedge in place, you know, life may form and, and grow through it and it eventually may become a living hedge. No, so that's... No, I understand. Yeah, sorry. Um, but like, I mean, maybe something that I... You know, that's a sort of detailed example, but the, the thing I found myself saying to people was instead of... I mean, you could have pub public money for public goods and that would be a public good. But actually more than that, in my way of thinking is maybe you could have a, instead of the national service, you could have a national nature restoration service. So oh, if, you know, yeah. so if we're, if we are in crisis mode, I mean, we're in a crisis, we're not in a crisis mode. If we, if we are in a crisis mode, then something like a national nature restoration service, having, 
yeah, millions of people actually engaging in that sort of nature recovery, nature restoration activity. Like, and, and dead hedging is just one example. It's just one example of you know, thousands of things where we, as you know, humans, as a human species, could really fulfil our role as the ultimate geoengineers. Right? Yes. You know, we could really step into that. And I think the reason why I talk about a national nature national nature restoration service is because. It, yeah, it reminds us that we are in, you know, we are in a crisis. This is an emergency. It's not like a nice to have. It's not like, I think that, I mean, if we did have a shift to say, well, you could make lots of money from, you know, restoring nature. I mean, that's sort of, that's sort of great. But in a sense, maybe that shift, that societal shift may take too long. Maybe that's like the future. But in, in the time where we're establishing that future that could occur, what we need is is this crisis emergency response. Um, I was I was just gosh what was I thinking I was just thinking just start getting together to be global geo engineers. I think the catchphrase here is just start getting together to. What are we doing? And I think what it is is in JSO it. The people that are doing this first initial running into the burning house, which you're not allowed to, in, to go into someone else's property uh, legally unless there's life and limb at stake. So these people are running into the burning house and the burning is the legal system that is preventing them from putting out the fire. So, and a lot of people will agree with these things and go, yes, but it's not going to work and no one's shifting because they're still acquiescing to the systems of power. So we want to not acquiesce anymore to the systems of power, but you, but look at what the systems are. So we need to look at the systems and work with them. So we want to take power out of the equation and we want to empower ourselves Let's start getting together to be geoengineers. And every individual person needs to understand how that can happen themselves. So you've come up with something that seemingly, when, I, when you said that, I thought, yeah, but that's just like a few hedges in Kent. But actually, of course, it isn't because a lot of people, I live in London, no one has gardens. If you don't live in London, you've probably got a big garden. You can probably do something like decide to build a a wall out of living matter. Why do you do that? Because you want it to degrade very slowly because you want the carbon to be protected because this thing is protecting what we need to be protected. We become mini global geo engineers, each of us. And we spread this across the world and probably you'll find indigenous people will go, about bloody time, what are you like? You know, but we also live in cities. So, you know, look, uh, is it Brazil? Somewhere in South America, they grow food on the roofs and you've got living walls. And as long as you've got access to water, so communities supporting each other, what are the real things we need? We need good air to breathe. So for God's sake, stop putting stuff in the atmosphere. Then we, uh, we need then water, potable water. Stop even growing organic fucking cotton because it uses up too much water that people could drink, right? Look at what's going on around around you, but don't destroy any structures or systems. Look at them and adapt them. Can they be adapted? And groups of people do it because 
You know, what are they going to do, the power people, if they're really so bad? They're just ordinary human beings, aren't they, with people that they love, who love them, that they are, they are subjected to the system as much as we are. Just like go in and look after the people around you because come the devastation, let's hope it doesn't come, you're going to need your neighbour. Everyone's going to need each other. We don't want people crashing through our front doors because there's suddenly a shortage, not of loop paper, but of food. And people getting their guns out and 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 spurting out conspiracy theories that you know it's not about that we you know and today lovely Kitty down the field like I've got to tell you about Kitty so Kitty I taught um, as a student in Goldsmiths and then I rediscovered her and actually she was a rebel then before even rebellion was mm. something and she she's now like a buddhist in buddhist nun and she's a healer and i let everyone go wow wow healer healer but whatever um why am i talking about kitty God. you tell me about kitty 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 sorry what did i i can't remember Grey matter, old lady grey matter. Hang on. I can chop any pieces out, by the way. Okay, that's fine. Um, so you turn around so I can talk about Kitty. I want to Kitty. So anyway, she came, she came back into my life and I came back into her life in loops to both find out that we have been... Activists. I, well, what I could say, which I don't think I was what I was going to say, and perhaps it's because I should actually say this, is is that we get born into this world and we don't know what we are. And a lot of the the more sort of modern um, interpretations of the more esoteric meditations will go, you need to meditate to understand what you are and blah, blah, blah. And I, to be honest, another thing that's terrified me in life has been, I might be nothing, or I might, yeah, it's just like all the wrong ideas come in, but like, I actually think what we are is what we are. We're human beings. We love each other. We don't need to question it. It's just actually what we are. And we need to be individually empowered to know that, like, all, it's going to sound really crappy, but we are all really God. It, for me, when I'm in my great loneliness, which I sometimes get as an older woman, being programmed to be obsolete, being programmed to be a crone, being, you know, after losing my husband, getting guys that want to go, you know, they want to shag me, but they want to go off with younger women as well. And it's it's devastating for me and it like, it kills me. It kills me because I am being subjected to the way other people see me, allow me to you be used um, and what I'm talking about here is that we are not what other people's preconceptions and prejudices say that we are. And we have to be become very vigilant and very, very noble. Like each one of us, wherever we're born on the planet, like Pierce says, is an indigenous person. So I don't want any guilt about, I don't want to assume any guilt about what other white people did in England. England might not exist anymore. Don't, yes, I respect all of this, but I only respect the diversity in terms of I see everybody as having a right to be here and be as much God as I am. If we all saw each other as being 
gods. And we all had an idea of what that meant. We would all recognize in ourselves as we are manifesting our lives as being the very, very best possible person we could be. And the best thing about this that I think is the best gift is God isn't alone. We aren't alone. We're surrounded by the most incredibly beautiful, diverse people. Mm -hmm. I'm not alone. Like I've spent so much time alone to know. Uh, uh, come back, say that point. But being surrounded by so many in interesting, diverse people is why I love podcasting because you, the, you can interview people and they have such a different way of looking at the world than you do. And it's about sharing that, yeah. sharing their view of the world. And it's a view of the world that you couldn't, un you wouldn't have understood until you spoke to that person. And that's why you um, yeah. go around chatting. To, that's why you go around wanting to chat to people as if it was the chat you'd be having with them normally, and probably you go as well. Yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to reflect that. Um, so the walk I did from it was from the High Weald, so south of London to Glasgow, for the COP twenty six conference. What I found myself is as I was going, you know, further and further north. What I was really doing is it was rather than like me in those conversations, rather than me saying what I thought about the situation. I was increasingly just saying, oh, I spoke to someone, you know, 20 miles back there and they had this to say. And then I spoke to these people, you know, two weeks ago and they had that to say. And it was sort of, you know, these interesting people, they, you know, it wasn't like my, it wasn't me being original. Or it was, it was these people and what they were thinking about this problem and just, you know, communicating that. So maybe with you, and these podcasts that like you're having conversations with people who see the world differently. And that's, and you're recognizing like your limitations as an individual is that like, you can only see the world really. I mean, you know, you try and see it in lots of ways, but let's say there's a sort of core way that you and your experiences like that shapes how you, how you see things. And then in these conversations, actually it brings like, it enriches the conversation and it enriches like your view of it yeah. and you want to share that. And so for me, it was I the same thing. I become a wiser person by talking to these people. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, like, you know, what... Let's start getting together. Let's start getting together. You're like a, you're like a broken record, Annie. No. <laughs> well, are you going to say Just Stop Oil is a broken record? <laughs> Con continue with what you were saying anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, I think that was my point, just that... Um, you know, it's the it's the parallel. You know, what what I was doing as I was walking and talking to people was effectively trying to share more than just my perspective. And what you're doing with this podcast is sort of sharing more than just your perspective through who you talk to. You know, since I got involved with um, climate activism, I've met people who are so intelligent and articulate and. They come at the the problem from a totally different angle, and they were angles that I hadn't even considered before. I before this, like when I first became a climate activism, I believed that capitalism could solve the problem. Now, I still believe that it could mess massively help us. Like I said before, if we change the rules of the game, where you become a millionaire by planting the rainforest, you know, it would be planted pretty fucking rapidly. Um, <laughs> but um, but. 
I had I was dismissing all of our idea like communism, for example. I dismissed communism as a failed experiment. And it was only through speaking to all these different people and gaining a deeper understanding of what they meant by communism. They didn't mean, for example, they didn't mean what the US the USSR and the repression that they saw in that country and that nation state. They called themselves communists, but they were not. It was only by understanding what true communism was. Uh, for uh, true communism is a state run by the people for the people, you know, designed to help the people, not to help billionaires or oligarchs or kings or dictators. It was to help, you know, the wealth of a nation to aid individuals. Um, it was only through having those kinds of conversations with people that I began to understand the world more at large, really. I mean, like, um, everything I talk about nature sequestering carbon, I've only learned that from talking to intelligent, articulate people who have made the argument to me. And unfortunately that I didn't record that conversation, but there are many, many, many more conversations to be had. And I will certainly record as many of them as I can. This, this, what you're seeing right now, this is just a general conversation between three people. Like none of this is scripted. Well, this, we would have had this conversation anyway, slightly less self-conscious, but we would have we would have had this conversation anyway. We would have had this conversation anyway without you guys seeing this, but this is just a genuine conversation. And by having this podcast, it brings the fourth person into the room, or the or it's two of us, uh, the third person to the room to listen. And I think that's very powerful. And in this time that we're in right now, this... It's a defining moment in human history. Like generations will look back at this, and no, they will do. Even if, yeah. even 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 not even if we fail, and even if we hit climate disaster, and crop harvests fail around the world, and billions of people starve. Like, save like eighty percent of the people in the world starve to death and have a horrible. A, you know, a horrible drawn out death. The 20% that are still there, that are still currently starving to it, toward, heading towards extinction, will see these kinds of things and they will look at, you know, and they'll say, those people are the ones who actually tried. You know, they're, they're, those are the people who, who gave a shit. You know? So I do, I do think this is a defining moment in human history and I do think that the conversations like this will be looked back on and studied for generations to come. And if the human race does survive, then these conversations will be studied for centuries to come. Um, well, but we're not going to fail. We're going to fucking win. We're gonna, we are going to change the world and we are going to overthrow capitalism and we are going to make the Rishi Sunaks and the CEOs of the world walk out of their offices in handcuffs. Hopefully it doesn't end in mass murder like the USSR did. Um, and we create something peaceful and just... Um, anything to add? Yeah, I mean, I think um, guys, there's a lot in that, Josh. Uh, well, what would I say? I think um, something I find um, or have found difficult um, is the sort of 
in some ways, personalization, and like you were talking about, like the CEOs and uh, sort of the Rishi Sunaks of the world being in handcuffs. And I suppose that's about accountability. So that's that's one thing, um, which I which I you know I totally I totally appreciate. I think something I find difficult is is sort of losing the fact that like it, it's so much is about the systems, the systems that yeah a CEO is in. You know he's he or she or they is in a in a system and it's a system that is broken and it's a system that you know is yeah. is shaped in such a way which which causes these horrific outcomes mm. um and you know we shouldn't we shouldn't also ignore the fact that i don't know being the ceo of a company at this time is a very sort of high status position to hold so like society in general is, is sort of saying being that is a really good thing and so if you're you know a driven or capable person there's a sort of you know there's a sort of social pressure for you to head in that direction and to achieve something like, like that putin and like like putin and the group around that support it but it but it is lonely at the top yeah sure i'm i'm not saying that that the the consequence of that is that those individuals are happy people mm-hmm. i think probably probably the opposite uh, the opposite might be true um mm. but uh but i think it's for me i've always found it difficult when it's it's sort of the individual being attacked you know boris johnson yeah, being attacked okay. and bolsonaro being attacked and and you know mm. even if they are let's say they are broken people and they do have you know, a lot of power and they are sort of, as individuals seemingly evil people they are a product of our society, mm-hmm. so there are responsibilities as, as well. I agree. And there's a there's a broader point here yeah. actually, which is about you know, you know, if you're if you engage with this topic for any length of time, like something that comes up time and time again, is about interconnectedness. How we're all interconnected, yeah. not just humans, human, but like all life is interconnected. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're having you know quite a sort of personal attack yeah. against another individual. If you're having but a, we're not doing it anymore. If, if if you're having a personal attack, um, what is it still being recorded? Uh, yeah. The audio is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Audio is good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're having if you're making a personal attack against another individual, mm. actually because we're all interconnected, you're sort of having a, an attack against yourself. I agree, and I, I completely agree, Hugo. And what I was going to say earlier when I lost it really with Kitty because it's a new thought. Which is the the re-empowerment of ourselves as we should be, you know. This idea of our we have a concept we all understand of divinity, and then that might be manipulated or misunderstood in many ways or used in many ways. You could be an Islamic woman who gets raped, and then you get stoned to death or thrown out of your family. There are things that happen in the grand and awful um, theatre of life. And what I wanted to say about being with Kitty through all of my yoga and esoteric practices and looking at religions was the possibility of us all evolving into claiming our own personal divinity and that it should not be as described by quite a lot of meditation practices and gurus Mm. as being something which denies the world. My personal idea is like, that embraces the world and sees every single other person as a precious gift of of divinity that needs to be 
recognized individually. So I, I, sorry, I know you want to say so, and I'm a verbose woman, but so are you a verbose man. But it's like, but so I recognize you and you recognize me, but then we are, we are in creation. We're in mutual creation, like a choir. And it, it, it's very complex. And I, I do think like with, with Josh, we, we can be geo engineers mm. by feeling okay in ourselves. And that's why we need to get together to do that. And I won't say that again, because clearly it's not going to work as a catchphrase. It's not going to work as a catchphrase, is it? Not if one person I respect can joke about it before it's even taken off the ground, you know. I, uh, I just want to apologise for all the listeners here. We have lost the video feed, unfortunately. I've been streaming all day on this camera and I didn't check the battery level before I started recording. But you still have the, you can still hear us talk, which is very important. Um, we've done about an hour now. Is there, is there more you want to add in about this? Yeah. Go for it. Yeah, sorry, another another point to make. But um, yeah, I think I think we're sort of highlighting the interconnectedness. And so when there's that on one side there's that desire for accountability on the other side it's um a sort of um you know villainizing um individuals it's sort of like an attack on mm -hmm. yourself because we're all we're all interconnected um and you know they're sort of a product of our society but it's a product of our society so actually we're we're sort of accountable for no. them being no. them being a thing as well no no we're not no in order to individuate and claim our own divinity, we have to say what we don't agree about the people around us that are part of our divinity that we disagree with. And we, we need to claim that power for ourselves, but not by demonizing, because if you demonize, you create the devil. You create shadow, you create darkness. What you do is you acknowledge that each individual has the potential to, uh, to co-create using the truth of the tools of geoplanetary repair. Mm -hmm. And we try to enable them similarly to break out of the paradigm that we also are in. There should be no leaders other than the ones that serve the people, but truly. Mm -hmm. And it's very lonely in that position. And a lot of people are jealous of you when you're in that position. And a lot of people do things like get hold of a guy called Jesus and crucify him. That's a, you know, they get jealous of it because they, of their own individuation, sense of their, and knowledge, actually their own knowledge of their own divinity mm. ends up being a destructive force. And actually what we've got is this amazing power. If you think about it, you know, if your power can be so great that when you realize it, you can be destructive. Imagine what would happen if you could be such a great master of it, mm. that you then are in this choir like with people and you all do planetary geo mending. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, no, no, I, I, yeah, I do agree. I think, I think something I was going to just share that came to mind yeah. when you were talking was, I suppose like, Sort of talking about sort of revolution and maybe revolution is is sort of necessary um and i think uh there's something which um <laughs> bless you, bless you. Uh, there was something which um 
Sir Ben Ockrey um, sort of shared a few weeks ago, which was how you know, his understanding, yes, it, it, yeah, it's clearly more than emissions, right? This is this sort of mm. um, predicament that we're in. It's more than emissions. And actually what he, the way that he talked about it was actually we need, we need a sort of, an acceleration of the evolution of of a human. Yes. So, you know, talking about like, yeah, becoming sort of masters of our sort of geoengineering potential mm. you know, um, in relationship and as as an ally to nature more more broadly. Um, actually, for that to occur and for that to occur in the time frame that we have and at the scale that is necessary requires. You know, a sort of profound change within within most of us, if not all of us, and so you know, Ben Ockrey's language around that was was this like acceleration of um, human ev- evolution, and and I think he went on to talk about how you know at the moment like the extent of our empathy, you know, as a, as a mm. human as we've evolved to at this point, mm. is sort of limited. You know, it's limited to okay the people who sort of nearest to me and closest to me at this time um and even that sort of fluctuates can i just quickly come in and go but the thing is there are a lot there are empaths who are not limited do they don't limit their their gift of being and they get very hurt because people keep in close groups and exclude and don't understand the gift of the empath mm. Which is a paradox. The paradox is an intense love of everything you could possibly be at its greatest expression, alongside acknowledgement of other indifference. Mm. And how do we dance in that? I mean, it it could actually be the most incredible beginning, because it might be that what we're being called to do is what would have been called in the olden days the most selfish thing, is to love ourselves literally as we wish to love ourselves, as we wish to recognise ourselves. And then when they go about, and then I know everyone else, like like in Christianity, the way that played out for me was I had to give everybody my birthday cake before I got any. And all that happened was I ended up being a very annoyed child that didn't get any birthday cake on my birthday. Because, you know what I mean? It's like... Whereas actually I should have been the child that was celebrating my birth while people around me were born to celebrating their own being and recognize, oh my God, there's another person who is being, who is celebrating being. And it's, it's a sort of coming into consciousness of being and celebrating being. And we get, I don't know what the bloody hell happened that it got into this mess. <laughs> really? Sorry. That's all right, Josh. And so your friend should be. You said you got a friend coming at seven. We got uh, ten minutes. Well, talk to Hugo because I'm a lunatic. Clearly. Well, I was just gonna. Uh, we've been going for over an hour now, and I'm gonna. I want to give us like five, ten minutes to round up the episode because we've, uh, we've had a pretty good episode here for some good time. Is it um, it's been good, yeah. So uh, I want you to both think about something that you would like to talk about that you've not talked about yet, and we'll, we'll not finish right now, but we'll keep going for another five, ten minutes, and uh, then we'll round up. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's one thing I would like to say, actually. Um, so I am usually trapped in Manchester or Lancashire with my fucking ankle tag. I can swear because... Of course you can. Fuck it. Um, it's your 
podcasting your cry if you want to. Yeah, I mean, Joe Rogan swears, but um, but the, the point is, like, I've been trapped in Manchester pretty much and unable to leave. And oh, it's so awesome that I can come down to London. Like, I know. I've not been participating in any form of protest for the sake of my bail, but I've been filming protests. And I've been interviewing people. And in, a, in less than 24 hours that I've been here, I've got about eight people. I, I've recorded two high-profile interviews, and I've got eight people lined up for interviews. And this is a fucking gold mine. Obviously, talking about activi- like activism uncensored is about activism. And being in a, the eye of the storm of the activism world is very beneficial to this podcast and obviously provides a lot of benefit and value to the people who listen to the podcast Mm. um so i'm quite happy about that um i start my trial tomorrow Mm. for closing down the port of dover now i've already recorded once i've already once recorded the story of the port of dover but i've not released it because of legal reasons because i might get fucked for that but i plan to make a documentary on the port of Dover, on the closing down of the port of Dover, I'm going to make it into a full-blown documentary and get some real testimonies on what that was like and compile it with, you know, uh, every, you know, the footage of of it actually happening. Uh, that's another thing that I'm doing. But um, as far as civil resistance and the climate crisis goes and geoengineering, is there anything you'd like to talk about? that you feel like you'd like to get in this episode before we round up in the next five or ten minutes? Either of you. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd like to share that, um, you know, I'm sort of amazed when I meet people who are so clear in their views that a particular campaign, a particular sort of activist approach won't work it definitely won't work it definitely won't be part of how we bring about this change and the reason why i'm amazed about it is because we're sort of you know engaging and and endeavoring to do something that has never been done before like mass societal shift on a global scale like this has never been done before so how how can anyone you know look at Extinction Rebellion or Insulate Britain or Just Stop Oil or whatever it may be and be so sure that those campaigns, when the history is written, when it's looked back and you know, anthropologists analyse it, that actually these these were important stepping stones for, for a reason which becomes clear later. How can they be so sure? Um yeah, I think for me I've always I've always just felt as though, you know, that we need lots of experiments to be run. We need lots of things to be tried. Um, and and actually, because we have so little time, um, in a sense, you know, we, the fact that we've had, let's say, three big experiments in the last you know, four or five years in this country actually feels like quite a low, <laughs> a low rate given the, you know, given the stakes. Sorry, Josh. You- I just want to add one little point to that. So... You're saying we need to run many experiments. That is the exact reason why when people like my friends Kai and Oti, for example, uh, threw a a bucket of shit over Captain Tom's grave and started burning lighter fluid on their own arms to make a point, 
everybody turned against him and said that is the wrong thing to do. And even though I don't agree with their action, I don't feel like I have the right to tell them that they are doing the wrong thing. Because at the end of the day, we don't know what thing is going to cause the revolution, the the mass societal awakening. It might be them, it might not be. I think it probably won't be, but we can't start ruling out people who come with new ideas because we don't know, you know, we don't know what it's going to be that's going to cause that change and we're going to need lots of new ideas uh, and I don't feel like I have the right to rule out those ideas. No, no matter how extreme they are, like who am I to say that won't work because the truth is nobody knows what will work. Annie. Um, revolution is the wrong word. It's revelation. Um, what does revelation mean? So I went to the cave where St. John, the theologian, um, had the vision of the revelation, which we know in the Bible as being the apocalypse. And And I think that if you are a true human being who is in tune with your divinity and most people are very scared when they meet their own knowledge because we are so physically contained within the description of where we are, what color we are, what creed we are, what sex we are, you know. But actually, we're, we're a divine potential and so when he had this vision of the apocalypse, you can read it, it's in the book of Revelations. He saw these things, and that was nearly 2,000 years ago. And so your friends, when they got lighter fuel and they put them in their arms, they were very, very wise prophets demonstrating to a a silenced and asleep community, what was going to happen in time and space. And we all know, like, if you you look at quantum physics and all of that stuff and you start really wanting to intellectualize about what time is, it's only the fourth dimension and there are many. And I don't want to go woo-woo on this. The mind can describe things only to a certain extent, but our being is much greater than that. Our being does not have to have that described, except in a visceral sense. If you see another human being whose arm is on fire and you ask why, you might go, this man is like an ancient prophet and we don't, we don't allow prophets anymore. Why? We, we're so fucking cynical and 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 the the monks, the Tibetan monks, who self-immolated as well, when China came in and tried to to stop Buddhism, which which was actually a form of discipline that enabled our sentience to experience its greatest being, just to be, just to be, no longer a fear of death, just to be in this form, in the moment. And, and and time is an invention. So those people self-emoliating we're doing was describing in our understanding what might come in the future. 
and what has for many people already come in the future, which we don't want to look at, and it's not on the news. Even in California, the people that get burned to death in the in the fires. And when they say 38 people were burned to death in Californian fires, the, these guys in London, wherever, setting fire were saying the people that you love and you might burn. And they do it. Why? Because they're connected, because we're all connected. And they try to remind us and awake us awaken into us about how much we love each other. And it's very, very difficult. And I'm going to go Kitty here. Like what Kitty did, because she's a healer, she was arrested in China. Did you hear the story? She's arrested in China. And in China, they don't, it's it's illegal to have a religion. And she'd gone there to meet Master Wu. Master Wu, who is an enlightened being, a guru. I don't mind whether you believe this or not. Just say, like, imagine the very best form that a human being can be. And she was aspiring to that. Anyway, the Chinese arrested her uh, in a group. And they were, and and she prayed. But she prayed in her own way because we should all pray in our own way. It's like you pray to your best person that is your best you. Like the best you when you were eight years old or six or whenever you were like the happiest you get like hey you when you were the happiest would you reckon on this problem I've got in my life and then you transcend time and space because you time travel you ask that part of you that was the best part of you what should I do so she asked because she was like a nun and done a load of stuff and met Amma she asked for a Buddha to appear and John Lennon appeared and then she sang and she didn't sing it she just went imagine all the people beautiful song living life in peace and imagine there's no heaven imagine there's no hell and and she got released immediately and then the police who'd held her said we don't know what religion you're practicing we know you're practicing religion that's illegal um but we actually want to know what your religion is so and and then she went on to um talk about a film that was made for the un where the you where imagine was used and lots of people were asked who were starving and in countries that needed support from the UN, what would you want? And people go, I imagine, uh, imagine I have got enough money to buy a uniform for my child who goes to school. I imagine, and they were all simple things. So, like with Hugo, when you go around and you're talking to everyone, what is the gift that you give? Is that you've asked? You've asked these people who are like in these, as Sting would say, these soul cages. These soul cages we've been put into. You know, what is the key you need? And the these people are very, very modest. They're not, I don't want to rule the world. I don't want to see world peace. I don't want to be what Miss World. And what do you actually want? What, what do you want the system to provide for you? Well, I, I want the system to provide a place for me at whatever level I'm in. But I want there to, and ultimately, is I want there to be a system, because that system is diversity and difference, and this is what we delight in. Yeah, and and just to say that, um, yeah, I mean that diversity and difference. I think for the 
for anyone who stayed with this conversation all this time, which is like there is the diversity and difference of the three people who've been talking, you know, talking today. And I suppose that's something which is, I suppose, a reflection of activism more generally. I mean, Josh, you're talking about, you know, the different people that you've spoken to and um, have met through this process. And I think your phone is ringing now. Um, is it ringing? <laughs> Shit. That means the recording stopped. That's all right. Uh, one minute. Let me just. Uh, I'm gonna play the recording to see what we got up to because I don't know when did it start ringing. When it was in your hand. Just yeah, just then. Right, it's still going. Um, okay. You. I mean, you could do your outtake. We've done an hour and twenty. Really, you could do an outtake of what Hugo said. Should we uh, listen? I would encourage people to listen to the whole thing. Let's 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 round up. Um, yeah. No, I've said. Blessings. I've said too much. I just go off on one. I like. The last thing, very short, sort of theory of change, which may feel like a bit of a cop-out, but um, everything, everywhere, all at once. Thank you if you've listened this far into the episode. It's been an hour and 20 minutes. It's been quite a long one. Um, um, Sending love and peace out. Shortly after I finished the episode of Annie, one of Annie's close and old friends turned up so I continued recording so that she could give you a testimonial of what she thinks of Annie and how she knows her. Okay, so you was telling me how you know Annie. Uh, so, 20, it must be 2010, I went into this magical shop which had all these different jewellery and there were a lot of hairs, like, as in the, rat, the animal. And this lovely boy was working there. And I was saying, oh, my goodness, this reminds me of Kit Williams' The Masquerade, you know, that book. And he didn't. And I was buying something that needed, needed something added to it. I can't remember what it was. It was like something for my mum, a brooch or something. And it would, would have been one of Annie's, but I didn't know Annie then. I came back in, he went, I've looked up The Masquerade, and I know what you mean now. And then, for some reason, I came in the next day, or the next time I came in, I met his mother, Annie. And she was just as magical as this shop which was a total treasure trove. And we just got on well. And she was so immediately kind to me and enthusiastic. That is Annie. And really, really lifted me. And and then, yeah, that is Annie. And then, um, so not only was this lady, did this lady have this total Aladdin's cave, she was also doing an art show in the Oxo Tower downstairs. And she was doing the, well, she was doing something called Eco Factory at the time. So um, information from Annie and positivity was coming hard and fast. So I was also learning about um, the use of materials. And she was, talk- she was kind of talking about how, how um, future technologies ought to be in order for um, fabric not to be wasted. Mm-hmm. So lots of stuff that I, I can't remember now exactly. But I was like, whoa, this lady was just very amazing. And she took me under her wing at the time. So what was I doing? I just finished some work and I was kind of free. So it, it meant that I spent a lot of time in South Bank and um, she had this gypsy caravan. And, and li- literally through her, I just met all these people and, and I felt like everyone had been kind of taken under her wing. Um, and I was telling her, do you know, I make things too. And it was like, <laughs> this lady who's at us, I'm going to tell her about this. And um, she goes, we'll put something in the show then. But I was like, Really? So I went back and I made something that was in the show. So I was really excited about that. Um, and that's how I originally met her. 
And then we sort of hung out a bit. And over the years, so that's going back 13 years or so. So over the years, I've always come and visited her wherever she is and just always had that immediacy and that chat with her. And so I'm looking in this, in this living I've been here maybe twice before. Um, and the first time I came here, I was not in a great way. It was a few years ago. And she just looked at me and she just thought, okay, lie on your back. We're going to do ponies in the... <laughs> and he's really good at reading people. But I was like, okay, so we were like ponies in the meadow, some sort of yoga move. And I was like, this is what I need. This is great. <laughs> and then last time I saw her was in the winter, last winter. And we were chatting about the darkness in, in this room because of some wooden bit. And we just, I was sat opposite her. And I was like, Annie, um, and this has happened before with Annie. I'm like, you look all different ages at once to me. And she goes, you, you're doing that too. But I was like, but you were just like 17. Then you were eight. And now you're like, you're... 40 and I'm like it keeps on coming but I find with with somebody that's really beautiful that happens when I'm looking at them I don't know if you know what that what that's like but it's like they keep their face keeps on changing and um yeah it's I can't you know, I don't know what it's like to be I honest know, like I, I've only had it twice before and the other yeah, time was in with yeah but yeah it just sounds really weird doesn't it and spooky and stuff but her face does that to me but it's like all different ages at once. It's like a true. I would. I, that's true beauty. I, say, yeah. I would really like to see Annie at like twenty-five. But she is like, twenty-five. Like she's, got, she's one of those beautiful. Like I, I, I think, I think I might have been there. Like I think, I think I might have gone there. Like personally, like, you know. She's, she, I, yeah, I don't. She, I, I, I per, don't. Her personality gets a tick for me, but like. But she's hot. She's got. She's got true beauty, which is like. Is it? <laughs> <laughs> I know, but. It's. I'm not funny. That's. I think that's just real. But um. I think. I yeah. Think, I mean, I. I actually think the thing is that we all have, and I. What we were talking about earlier, about when we release our divinity to ourselves and we share it with each other and we, mm. we enjoy the beauty and we fall in love with each other. Mm. It. It. It really is. You know how when you fall in love with someone, it's so personal. It's so. And, and, and when you like yourself, it's just so beautifully vain. Mm. Um, uh, that is how we should be. Mm. And when we want something great in the world, and we like completely com committed the childlike determination to achieve it, that is our true nature. There, uh, there's nothing else other than that. And to see it in other people, allow it, and not be jealous of it. Mm. Uh, and the opposite of jealousy is when you put wind under somebody else's wings. Yes. And that, if you do that, like, that is what is knowing another person and then witnessing. Mm. It, it's not witnessing mm. someone else falling away from that and not achieving that. It, it's holding it up. It's that positivity. That's why I love you. I mean, honestly, everything Liz has said, I think about her. She's one of the most incredible people I know. She is very, very magic. She'll, like, come through on a feed in Facebook and everything she says is more positive than anyone else. <laughs> She's really brilliant. But you're a superstar. Like, I don't know why, like, you just, you, you know, you're one of the magic people of the world. Do you feel that? You just I feel, feel like, that, I feel I that. I know, it's like, it's really, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? And anybody, but, but, but it's so okay. silly oh, because right. anyone, you, you two are the magic people in my I world. Wanna, I want to I wanna be level with right? I, I, I feel like me and Annie are separated by a generation, but I feel like if I was born, like, 30 years ago, I would date her. You'd be lucky. Cheers. <laughs> the cheek of it. <laughs> <laughs> I am cheeky. <laughs> Cheeky's good. Um, what else am I going to say? So when I met Annie, she... So I remember her locking up her shop and we were going to go for a drink or something. 
and you could see the men on the route back, wherever we were going, the men on the route going back saw her every day because it was like, you so there your hair was like really straight and long. Mm. And I think the, so the, the time I'm remembering, it was winter because you're wearing like boots and coloured tights and a short skirt and some interesting jacket or something. But I would just remember you going, hi, and then everyone... A big smile to Annie as she gets. They were used to seeing you, like, on the oh, way right. back from your shop. <laughs> there you go. Girl. I was a big girl then. I feel like I've arrived. I was a big girl then. I was no! Like, I was 11 stone. No, That's nothing. No, you were petite. I've always been petite. Really? I've never seen you not petite. Oh, I met you after being a big girl. Ah, really? Yeah, but, but, but also, I mean, you were the time of the Transcendental Gypsy Caravan yes. of Creativity. And that was when 50 people, it wasn't me, it was just, I accidentally bought a Gypsy Caravan <laughs> when my husband was dying of cancer and I didn't you want to let... That, that, oh. uh, on eBay for a thousand, a thousand pounds and I didn't want to let him know because it was really difficult it, because he was dying of cancer. I had nowhere to put mm, it, so I put okay. it in this car park. Mm. And all the artists and musicians came and painted it. And then we took it out on the road. And then we did all the making and showing people how to do things like upcycling, because that was part of that movement, showing people the bit, you know, like a grassroots movement, yeah. which has now turned into a fashion. Yeah. And, and trying to actually also then by, I always believed in the summer of love and the punk and stuff like that, and mm. that a fashion movement would actually change the world. Um, but actually, we 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 need we we need that. We need the government. We need the government. What are you doing? What are you doing? Hold it. Oh, you want me to hold it? Sorry, <laughs> but but it's the government needs to respond. But they only respond to people that they think is going to vote for them because they believe in their own divinity without actually questioning it. And uh, and actually, there has to be movement. There has to be movement between people. You know, we have to have teachers. We have to pe have. We have to have people we, that question us. We have to have ideas that we take forward that are then, a quest, that are then questioned. And, and we need to move forward on that with a view to what is the correct thing. And we know what the correct thing is. There are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant people who are not listened to. Governments should be... But, you know, the one thing that we didn't do, Josh, we didn't talk about what is holding the governments globally back. And that, uh, that is the law. That is the law. You, okay, right, all right, I've got to do this on my own without my Josh. Oh, fucking hell. Right, okay, so the government's being held back by law litigations against them. So, for example, if there is a contract a government has about, oh, we're going to have some oil happening in a country, a particular country X, um, with a company, and the government gives the license, and then the company is doing it, and then the government has the people going, we don't want this to happen anymore, but they've made an arrangement by law with this company to do this bad thing that the people don't want anymore, then what happens is that the thing that trumps democracy is the law. So the law will then enable those companies to litigate against global governments, and those governments then have to pay massive amount of money, which is the tax of the people. It's not democracy. This is litigation of big business through the courts, through the law, against democracy. And where's Josh gone? I just, you have to listen to that again. Keep going. It's okay. Don't no, worry about it. I really did it. So uh, yeah, we the reason we keep going right now. Um, so do you want to tell us more about Annie and how you met Annie 
and I want, I want what to, you think about I want to be present. Yeah. <laughs> it, wait, I'm gonna. I'm gonna clarify. Yeah, yeah. We are all drinking alcohol, and at this point, Hugoism. At this point, we are all tipsy. So, uh, so I'm just clarify. Any any words you hear from now on, we are a bit pissed, and um, yeah. So is this some sort of live stream? No, it's it's it, it'll be it'll later on. Basically, oh, this is yeah. this is this is basically the end of Annie's episode. So, episode. so Annie Annie Annie's been on for about an hour and half an hour at this point. Yeah, she's been having some very good conversation, yeah. and you're just a basically testimonial of what you think of Annie. What do you think of Annie? Like, <laughs> she's magical, <laughs> magical, magical lady pixie uh, warrior. <laughs> uh, speaks the truth. Uh, Inspirational, Pixie. yeah, yes. Pixie. Listen, you, Pixie bad. have you got anything else? Have you have you got anything you'd like to say about Annie? And if not, I can uh, we can round up here. I don't know. She's just a mar a marvel, one of the world's wonders. Well, I think so too. That's why she's one of my greatest friends. Oh, well, well lucky I, you. I just think it takes one to know one. This is just like a mutual appreciation society. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> It is. It is. It's <laughs> okay. She's a wonderful world. There you go. I think that I think all it's about to do is, I uh, I apologise for the sporadic um, nature of this episode. It's been a right laugh. Annie's a legend. Um, a friend's turned up. Give her testimony about Annie. And yeah, so um, make sure you stay tuned and subscribe. Thank you very much. We are the tongue that speaks the truth. We are the song upon the wind. We are the courage to stand forth. We are the change that now begins. On this good green earth, we will take a stand with an open heart and a healing hand. With an open heart and a healing hand.